Christmas has really changed a lot since I was a kid. Uh, a lot's changed in the last 60-some years. But we had the lights on the tree. There were small lights kind of came to like a, almost a sharp point, skinny little things. And if one of those burned out, the whole string went out. And so you had to go through and you had to try and figure out which bulb it was. There was a few artificial trees around. You know, most people wanted the real thing. I remember this friend of ours uh, went to his house and they had a white tree, which you can get white trees now, but they had this white tree and then they had this thing that sat on the floor. It was like a spotlight and it had uh, this round thing, maybe uh, 12, 15 inches around that had like four different colors of like a cellophane and it rotated and so your tree would it would never be white it would be yellow or green or blue or red or you know I don't know what the colors were but that's kind of different we had a couple of bulbs that you you screw in and they had like water in them and when the water in there got hot enough then it would kind of bubble up in this thing that was maybe two, three inches tall, and the, the water would bubble up into there. Uh, the tinsel was tin tinsel. I remember you break like crazy and you're trying to hang it, and oh, you saved all of the paper that you wrapped the gifts in to use next year. And the tags, you'd keep those, so you'd be able to use those again. Uh, they had real Christmas programs at school, not holiday programs. And Christmas didn't really start until after Thanksgiving. Uh, Christmas was something that you really looked forward to. And it was back at a time that the, the politically correct people were not around yet, or at least not as they are now, <coughs> trying to remove Christmas from any place that they could. Um, you know, I miss what Christmas used to be in a lot of ways. But it's up to us as believers to make sure that we keep Christ in Christmas. If we don't, it's just going to become totally uh, commercialized, even more so than what it is now. And the real meaning of Christmas will be totally lost. Now, there's a song that I just remember hearing eh, three years ago, I guess, the first time. It's called, Where's the Line to See Jesus? Let me give you a few lines from that. It says, Where's the line to see Jesus? Is he here at the store? If Christmas time is his birthday, why don't we see him more? Where's the line to see Jesus? He was born for me. Santa Claus brought me presents, but Christ... Gave, me, gave his life for me. We need to make sure that people know that. We need to be the ones that are going to start that line for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we just give you thanks for this time of year. Lord, help us as your children to make sure that we are letting people know that Jesus is indeed the reason for the season, that Jesus is the only important part of Christmas, not the gifts or the decorations or the food or 
uh, even time we spend with family, that the only real important part is your son, Jesus Christ, that you gave to us. And so, Father, help us to uh, promote that anyway, anytime, any place that we can. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's that time. All right. There's five Tuesdays in the month of December. So I want to talk about what the message title says, Only the Best. So let's start here. This is the uh, Passion Translation. Uh, and I'm sure it's a, a familiar verse to you. It says, For this is how much God loved the world. He gave his one and only unique son as a gift. So now, everyone who believes in him will never perish, but experience everlasting life. God gave his best. And you know what? He expects us to give our best. He didn't send an angel to give us salvation. Wouldn't have worked. He didn't give us salvation through uh, the high priest or a Pharisee. Uh, salvation wasn't made possible through a king or a ruler of some kind. Nope. It had to be a son. And that was the only possible way. Because they needed a perfect sacrifice. <coughs> Excuse me. And only Jesus would be that perfect sacrifice. So, if God gave his best, what do you think is expected from you and me? Let's take a look. Okay, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 7. This is from the NIV. It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. First fruits. Not a word we hear very often. Matter of fact, spell check says it's uh, spelled wrong. Uh, but the Hebrew there is reshith, which means in the first in place or time or order or rank. The beginning, the chief, the principal thing. Okay, so sounds pretty important. Okay, not leftovers, not incidental, not an afterthought. The New Living Translation says it like this, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Okay, so, you know, we're talking about a mainly farming culture of some kind uh, where they had olive trees, where they had grape vineyards, where they raised sheep or whatever kind of animals. And so most of us, you know, probably can't relate to that. So how about in the uh, Passion Translation where it says, uh, glorify God with all your wealth, honoring him with your very best, with every increase that comes to you. <coughs> Excuse me. Every increase that comes to you. Hmm. That would be your paycheck. That would be your pension. That would be a bonus that you receive. Maybe Christmas, end of the year bonus. 
That would be your Social Security, whatever it might be. The NIV, New Living Translation, and Passion Translation all say something similar about your wealth. Now, the Hebrew word there is hon, which means riches, substance, or wealth. Now, I know a few people that I consider really wealthy, very rich. Okay, not too many, just maybe three tops of people that I would put into that class. Now, I know many people that uh, most of us would consider well off. You know, people that, you know, they're really not concerned about, you know, turning off all the lights because the electric bill will be too high. You know, those kinds of people. But I know a lot more people that are just getting by. Okay? I mean, it's not like they've got bill collectors calling, but they're, you know, they're paying their bills and they're keeping up, but, you know, they're not going out and buying fancy vehicles. They're not wearing uh, designer clothes and, and all their, you know, they're getting by. You know, they have all of their needs met and they're doing okay. But most of us here in the United States would be considered rich by the world's standards. You know, we don't consider ourselves rich, but most of us here are rich when we look at it globally. The point of it here is not if we have large bank accounts or whether we're just scraping by. The point here is probably that most people listening to this has an increase, whether that increase is in sheep or whether it's in dollars. Okay, whether you're working 40 to 60 hours a week for your increase or you're on a, a pension or, you know, you're getting an increase, you know, from some other way. Okay, so we need to decide what we're going to do, how we're going to handle that increase. Well, God has told us what we should do with it, but we need to decide what we are going to do with it. Now, many people will say, you yeah, know, the New Testament, it doesn't talk about tithing. And so they go to 2 Corinthians 9, 7, New Living Translation. It says, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Yeah, that's true. God loves a person who gives cheerfully. All right, there's no doubt about it. The uh, Greek there is hilaros, which means hilarity. So God loves a, a cheerful giver, as we have heard many times. He doesn't want us to give because we've been made to give. Now, I never served a church or attended a church that had people pledge at the end of the year what they were going to give in the next year. Now, I know a lot of churches do that, and that's how they base their budget. 
uh, on what people say that they're going to be giving. So people would fill out a form or a card or whatever, have your name on it, and you would put down the amount that you expected to give in the next year. Now, I don't know in those churches if the pastor or the treasurer or the financial secretary or whoever would, you know, go through, you know, they'd maybe wait till March or April and they would look in their ledger, whatever, and see, you know, well, Don said he's going to give us this much and, you know, wow, he's really not doing too well. And so, you know, maybe somebody would come to me and say, you know, hey, Don, how you doing? You know, I, I've been looking at the books and I see you're getting kind of behind in your pledge. Uh, you know, can you think you can get kind of caught up here? You know, we really could use it. And I, I mean, I know you lost your job and I, I know that, that they're foreclosing on your house and I, I see that they repossessed your car. But, you know, we, we really expect you to keep up with your pledge. Now, I, I don't think it would be that rigid. Um, you know, I've never been in that situation, so I'm really not sure. But what I did do one time, and it did not go over very well, when I was a pastor, I was pastoring three churches in Delaware at the time, and I... I can't remember just how I went about it. If I had like three by five cards or just a, you know, a quarter of a sheet of paper, whatever it was. And I said to people, I said, okay, I want you to write your expected gross income for next year. Okay. And I said over and over again, do not under any circumstances put your name or your initials on this, okay? I do not care who you are, okay? And I had the people repeat, you know, do not put my name on this, okay? So they were sure that their name would not be on it. Well, I was going to use that to determine what the tithe should be for that upcoming year. Well, like I said, it was not received very well. You know, I don't know if people thought I was a handwriting expert and that I would be able to, to look at, you know, each one of those cards or pieces of paper and say, well, oh, this is obviously John Doe. You know, I didn't recognize his handwriting anywhere. You know, that's all he's going to make next year. I kind of doubt that, you know. But I had some people get very upset about that. So we just kind of trashed that idea. But it would be interesting for a church to do that if people would follow through with it. Because you would see, okay, my church, they say that their gross income for next year for the whole church is going to be a million dollars. Okay, so 10% of that, you know, there should be $100,000 coming into the church. You know, at least that. But you say sometimes things don't work out the way you want them to. <coughs> well, in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus has been handing out the seven woes. 
And in Matthew 23, verse 23, in the NIV, it says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. In other words, what Jesus is saying, you should be showing mercy, justice, and faithfulness, and tithing. Okay, because he said in the first part, you're tithing, okay? And in the second part, he says you're not showing justice, mercy, and faithfulness. But he's saying you should be showing justice, mercy, and faithfulness, and you should be tithing, just like I said in the beginning. Jesus did not say, okay, Jesus did not say, show justice, mercy, and faithfulness, and don't be concerned about the tithe. No, just the opposite. He said you need to be doing both. Why? Well, let's take a look at another spot in Matthew. Okay. <coughs> this is Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 19 from the New Living Translation. Jesus says, Don't misunderstand why I have come. I have not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So, if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. It sounds to me like Jesus is saying, you should be tithing, you should be giving, because that's part of God's law in the writings of the prophets. He didn't come to make it so we no longer have to give. Like Proverbs 3, 9 says, not just giving, but giving our best, just like God did in Bethlehem. Let's look at giving maybe in a little different way. Okay, I've got two passages to give you. The first one is Philippians 2, 6 to 8. And this is from the New Living Translation. Paul tells us this. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to, to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Okay, keep that in mind. Then go to Matthew 26. Okay, this is right after the Lord's Supper. Jesus has gone to Gethsemane with the disciples to pray. Verses 38 and 39. He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went a little farther 
and bowed his face to the ground, praying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. What do we see in these two passages? Okay, what is there that's the same thing? One word, obedience. Okay, in Philippians 2.8, says he humbled himself in obedience to God. Matthew 26.39, it says, not my will, but yours be done. <clears throat> I believe that before creation, Jesus knew what was going to happen. Before he came to earth as that baby in the manger, he knew his death sentence. He wasn't trying to weasel out of doing what he needed to do. I don't know as he was concerned about the tremendous pain that he would endure. I think he was concerned about how much still needed to be done here on earth. I think he wanted more time to teach the disciples. I believe he didn't want to end his earthly relationships yet, but he knew that he had to be obedient. He knew more time here on earth really wasn't going to change anything. You know, sure, there'd be more healings. More people would be raised from the dead. He would get to teach hundreds, if not thousands, more people. He would have more followers. But now it was time for the disciples to take over and those who would come after him. Hmm. Paul said it well in Romans 10, verses 13 to 15 from the NIV. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one that they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach to them unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Jesus knew that the time had come for others to be sent, for others to teach, for others to preach. Just like he said on the cross, it is finished. Mission accomplished. He came to be obedient, and he had done that. Now it's our time to be obedient in many things. Some are called to do the preaching and the teaching. All are called to use all they have for the church and its ministries. We're called to support it with our time, with our talents, and with our treasures. You know, I searched for a Christmas song to go along with this message. And I really couldn't find one that I wanted to use. <coughs> Excuse me. If you've listened to my messages for a while, you know my theology 
of the three wise men. They do not, I repeat, they do not belong in the Christmas story. Okay, just read your Bible. But at the same time, they tell us about giving. These supposedly three guys, because there's three gifts, and their entourage, they traveled a long way to see Jesus. And they brought really expensive gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They gave the best that they had to offer. Now, you don't travel hundreds of miles on a camel to bring cheap gifts, to bring something that you pick up at the 7-Eleven on your way. Okay, They showed us that we need to give our best and to go to great lengths to present it. If you're not tithing right now, it might not make a lot of sense to you. You know, I'm supposed to give 10% of my increase, you know, my my paycheck. You know, I'm I'm given $20 every time I go to church. Well, sometimes only 10 depending on how much I got in my wallet. So $10, $20 every time I go to church, two, three times a month. Well, my gross income is $600 a week. You're telling me that I should be giving $60 a week to the church? Even if I don't make it to church every week? Man, that just, that's just not making sense to me. That's understandable. Do you know why? A couple of things. One, you're relying on yourself, not God. You are, are expecting you to meet your needs not God. And that God will show you how to meet your needs all by yourself. And related to that, number two is you're giving in accordance with your trust in God. For example, let's say you have two teenage children. They both ask to borrow some money from you. Well, child number one you know that he or she will pay you back. Okay, working at McDonald's, mowing lawns, you know, whatever. You know that that child is going to pay you back. Child number two, you will probably never see that money again. And so you'll give child number one the money that they ask for. Child number two Maybe they ask for $20 and say, well, I'm going to give you 10 but that's it. You know, I'm not going to give you $20. I'm just going to give you 10 Looking at God as child number two, you do that because you don't trust him. Okay, you didn't give child number two what they asked for because you didn't trust him. You don't give God what you should be giving because you don't trust him. Looking at God as child number one, you know that he's trustworthy. You know, your thought is, I can give my 10% or more. And I know that it's going to be used as God needs it to be used. Now, does that make any sense? I don't know. It does to me. 
But you can trust God in every sense. You can trust God in every part of your life, your relationships, your finances, your health, and most important, your eternity. Let's pray. Father, I just give you thanks that we can worship you through our giving. That it's not just, oh man, you know, here comes the offering plate. I got to put money in or, you know, you're sitting down. You know, we give our tithe once a month. Okay, after we've received everything we're receiving for the month, you know, we, we give a, a tithe of that whenever that is in the month. And, you know, it's a it's an act of worship. It's a form of worship. As much as singing any song or listening to a message or spending time in prayer, <coughs> it's an act of worship. And as your children, Lord, most of us probably know that. Most of us probably know what we're supposed to do. But sometimes we don't do it. Not just in that area of our lives, but in a lot of areas, if not most all. And so, Lord, help us to, to have the trust in you that we need to. To know that you're the good, good father that's going to meet all of our needs, just like you tell us you will. And that we can trust you to do that. That even though it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, we know that we can trust you to do that. And Lord, if someone's listening that, that doesn't know you, this really doesn't make a lot of sense to them. So Lord, help them to do what they need to do first. And that is to surrender their life to you. That they need to call on you and ask for forgiveness for the sin in their lives. That they need to ask for your help daily, that through your Holy Spirit, that you'll guide us and direct us. And that they need to uh, do that sincerely, that it's not something to be taken lightly, that we need to just turn over every part of our lives to you, that you will make the difference that's needed. In Jesus' name, amen.